you're listening to episode 9 of the Animation in Progress podcast. We'll have the second part of the Director's Roundtable discussion in just a moment, but first I wanted to give you an update of the progress for Devils, Angels and Dating. Overall, it's going very well. Uh, We're a little over 20% through the animation process, and it's quite exciting for me, actually, because uh, I've actually had the opportunity to animate all three characters now, which is kind of a long time coming. I've been semi-jealous as I've been handing out shots to all the other animators, and some of them have had the opportunity to work on all three characters now. Um, But only now have I actually had enough time to sit down and and get on with uh, doing enough animation to get through all of them myself, which is great, actually, because it also gives me an opportunity to test the rigs really thoroughly. It's not until you really start animating a character that you know fully whether your rig's going to stand up well. And fortunately, they are pretty solid. Um, I'm sure there'll be a few little things I'll tweak here and there, but for the most part, they're in good shape. Uh, We've had some really good work done by uh, Ishkander Melek, who's been doing lots and lots of things with effects and dynamics, and um, now we're starting to see the results as um, animators are starting to use the tools he's been developing, and and that's really exciting. Um, I just love all the stuff that's happening with the hoods and the hair and all that kind of stuff. And he's also been doing some tests with Cupid's tail, making it sort of all look cloudy. I think that's going to end up looking really unique and different and like something we haven't seen before. Something else new that we've been getting is 2D animation work being done by Will Wright. And we've had a few 2D guys sign up, but no one's actually gotten started on anything yet. So it's really great to see the shadow demon scene at the beginning being animated. And I've just put that into the edit and it looks great. And it's not finished yet, but it's looking really good. And it's going to help get that scene underway properly now. Something else I've been trying to dabble with is I've been talking to a new guy about taking on the role as a production coordinator. I mean, effectively, I spent a very large portion of my time managing the project, chasing people up. As an example, if I were to say that 60% of the people who are assigned to tasks are being productive, then there's always a good 30% who are not for whatever reason. It just means that there's a certain amount of chasing up and following up I have to constantly be doing, trying to find out what's happening with certain tasks. And when the rest of the team is waiting for things, it's important to make sure I chase up on those things as often as possible. But of course, if I'm doing that, then that means that I'm not doing all the other tasks I want to be doing. For example, one of the big things I want to spend more time doing is video critiques, but it's hard to have enough time to do those and do some animation and direct the team and chase up on everyone all at the same time. So I'm hoping that um, I can get a little bit of assistance uh, from this production coordinator and we'll see how that goes. So you might hear from him. You can also help me out as well by just getting in touch uh, regularly and keeping me in the loop. If you're halfway through a shot and you haven't been able to follow through on it for whatever reason, just let me know why. Um, Give me uh, some sort of ideas to when you think you'll get back to it or if you've stopped completely then I would much rather hear from you. Anyway, so back to the main feature now. This is the roundtable discussion with the directors of Hick and The Gondolier's Dog, Jess Herman and Bob Strongman. Now that I found you. 
actually, um, Jess, I was noticing, I think I was looking at um, your animatic the other day, and you'd written something mm-hmm. about how um, you were talking about passwords and things. Are you yeah. trying to keep certain things under wraps? Well, no, we're we're not exactly sure what's what's going on yet. The original thought when the when the film first started was not necessarily to keep it under wraps, but sort of to make sure that it was viable for festivals in the end. Right. Um, and because some festivals have weird sort of restrictions mm, about how much yeah, content yeah. of the film is published, they do. Yeah. We want to be a little bit careful about how much of what of the work in progress is being is being actually put in video on places like YouTube. Because if you end up with something with a tag that is the Hick film, and then I go and submit, and we're, you sort of disqualified because of something that happened during the, the work in progress, that'd be a real shame. Mm. You know, so until we know more about that, um, we're trying to just sort of keep it within the Ning and not necessarily across the board. Mm. Um, my sort of recruitment and looking for other uh, people to work on the prog- project is a little bit less blanket than, than yours seems to be. Mm. I'm not really actively gone searching for people that often i'm going to sort of places mentioning things then seeing what happens i I actually did do some research on this because i was concerned i'd heard that festivals were saying no to entries because they'd been out on the internet before but some of that those sorts of stories were from a little while ago and festivals are starting to change their opinions the downside is that festivals tend to be a little bit behind the technology curve um Ah. some of them are still asking for things to be delivered on 35 millimeter film, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and those sorts of festivals uh, are also the ones that tend to require everything to be handwritten and posted to them, uh, or they want you to max tape or, and they want you to not have gone on the internet and stuff like that. But I've heard a lot of conversations and podcasts and they are starting to change their mind. And at the end of the day, they would just rather good films than worry about whether the film's been seen before. Um, I can understand their restriction because they obviously want to release the film like it's a premiere sort of thing. But at the end sure. of the day, only one festival gets anyway. Um, That's right. You go to the second festival and it's been seen before. So sooner or later, yeah. everybody's seen these things. I think also, uh, you know, I'm a little bit... Um I'm a little bit, not necessarily timid, but I'm a little bit apprehensive to release too much information before we're at a certain level. You know, I want to be at a level where everybody's very confident. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're all, we're all still sort of taking baby steps and learning at this stage. So, you know, for the moment, we're kind of keeping things more family-oriented. You know, I'm, I'm interacting with each person directly on each shot. And then we'll see what happens down the road with sort of publishing more frequently and publishing things, you know, where other people can look at it. Because it's not necessarily people who work in this field that I don't necessarily want to look at it yet. Mm-hmm. It's people outside. Um, it's sort of the people who will be enjoying the film down the road. I don't want to sort of spoil things. And this comes from uh, having shown having shown stuff in the past to my husband who doesn't know anything about animation. And every time he sees, you know, the character bald with, you know, no clothes on or missing <laughs> eyelashes, he goes, what the hell is that? That thing is horrible. And then I go, well, no, no, you have to understand it's... It's going to be great, and, and he doesn't quite get it. So the work-in-progress stuff, it's, it's fine for me if it's um, just team members and people interest, act, actively interested. One thing I came to the conclusion of was that being as public as you can also helps to promote the project and attract talent. And I was more interested in finishing the film um, than putting it in a festival. I know I'll sure. find some festivals that we can get it into. If there are a few Absolutely. that cut me out and say they don't, they don't want it, then... It doesn't matter. At least I got the film made. 
And it's easy to get the film made, putting it out there and attracting good talent. So that was my approach to it. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, I feel like at the moment, personally, I have to keep the project small enough for me to be able to digest. Mm-hmm. Because of that question of having more animators than layouts ready to pass to them. Mm-hmm. If I had 200 people on the Ning Network now all ready to animate... Mm-hmm. Um, that would put a ridiculous amount of pressure on my sort of day-to-day life, you know, and I would be just, I might even freeze, you know, I might not even be able to just do what I need to do on a day-by-day basis. So until sort of I'm ready to become more, become larger than I am, mm. uh, I can't, I can't really sort of go around looking for. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I mean, I certainly yeah. didn't advertise for animators for quite some time because I was yeah. concerned of how many people we were going to get flooded with. Right. Actually, that sort of leads me into one question I wanted to ask, which was about mm. balancing the film, your day job work and life, social how are you managing? I'll, well, I'll start because it's an, e- it's an easier answer to finish. Um, I'm not working at the moment, mm-hmm. except for very small sort of contract generalist jobs. So I have a lot of time to make this my sort of nine to five. Mm-hmm. I'll get up in the morning. I'll respond to all the emails and the questions that have been posed to me. And then I'll go ahead and do the technical work I need to do for that day to pass more shots to people or to tweak a rig or to do whatever it is needs to do in that day. In the times when I am working, it's more... It's it's fifty fifty percent between my personal life and the project that suffer. <laughs> you know, I notice that I have sort of less energy for the project and less energy for my personal life if I'm doing something full time at the same time. Mm. But I seem to be able to com- continue to to bring things along. You know, instead of doing as much as I would do on the technical side, I'll do more sort of feedback and less of my own technical stuff and find people who I can pass things to. Mm. I find it's more sort of the emotional thing that's. That's hard to deal with at times. It is, yeah. It, it can be like a lot of feeling like it's not a real project or feeling like it's very, very important or feeling like, how are you going to see the end of this and, and stuff like that. I find it's those internal struggles that I struggle with more than anything. Mm. How about you, Bob? What do you feel about it? Um, well, my situation is that, that sometimes, I mean, I work from home a lot of the time. Sometimes I work somewhere else. Um, so I, in balancing it, what I, what I try and do is, is make sure that I spend at least some time of each day doing something on it. And I figure that's, you know, that gives me progress. Mm. If I'm not doing um, other work, then as much as possible, I will spend at, at least 50% of my day uh, on the film. If I'm doing other stuff, it gets difficult, but I do at least try and, and communicate with people who've done work when I get in. So, And practically what that means is I, I I kind of spend between midnight and two o'clock in the morning doing it because mm. that's the only time I've really got to do it. And yeah. I don't mind that. Okay with that. So yeah, it is, it, it can be very tricky, you know, to juggle all that. But, but I think the bottom line is, is to do something every day. If you do something, then, then you know, you're going in the right direction. But do you find that, um, it conflicts with your personal life or your social life a lot? Is it crunching your time a lot? Well, it is, but it always has. You know, I've, I'm here, I work from home, I've got three children. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> there are a lot of things going on uh, and you just have to manage it. You just, you know, if it's something that you want to do, you just find a way around it. You find a way of managing the time. And mm-hmm. and if that means that you stay up till three o'clock in the morning, well, you know, you stay up till three o'clock in the morning. And I, you know, I'm quite happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to have had too much of an impact because I get quite a lot of energy back from it. You know, I enjoy doing it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem to have been a problem too much. The only real problem is if I've got lots of other work on and there's a lot of this work as well, it, it, it kind of stacks up and you want to keep people interested and you want to be able to, to be fair to people who are doing work and get back to them as soon as you can. And I've always said to people, you know, the key thing is communication and making sure that, 
that we stay in touch and that, that when people send something out, you, you get back to them as quickly as you can and, and make adjustments or whatever and, and keep those lines of communication open. But one of the biggest things is just kind of you feel like you owe the team something. Yeah. So your intray gets yeah. bigger and bigger on, on yeah. times when you're doing something else as well. And when you're too busy to um, get to doing that key task that a dozen people are waiting for, it feels terrible. You're just like guilt does, stricken. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, the, the important thing is remembering that it's uh, doing these films or what we've chosen to do. You know, other people, they have hobbies. They, they do. Well, I have hobbies as well. But, you know, what you do with your time is what you've chosen to do with your time. And it's not really a, it's not really a job. You know, it's, it's what you do in your spare time. And like some people play cards, some people collect stamps. Uh, everyone does their thing and mm, remembering right. that it's not it's not something forced upon you that you've chosen it i think that kind of gets me through some yeah. tough moments yeah you do have to sort of take all of that pressure put it in a box sometimes and, and lighten it a bit and say okay okay yeah this is a hobby at the end of the day my job is a separate thing i don't have to kill myself so <laughs> no yeah from time to time it does require the odd mass email where you send out uh, and a, a little bit of a mini apology saying oh i haven't been able to get to this yet but i shall try by this week that kind of thing yeah yeah mm. exactly i i try to sort of send out a little bit of an update every week anyway at first i was doing it via sort of the emails but then we got to be such a large number of people that i said well maybe the people aren't super interested or, you know, they're getting irritated. So exactly. I started a forum topic where I just update every week. Mm. And uh, that makes me feel better. Cause, it does. You know, I, I can't talk mm. to everybody every week because the people who aren't working currently, they probably still want to work in the future. I don't know where everybody stands. But if I do the updates, it takes all that pressure off of me because I go, okay, look, I'm still here. You know, mm. I'm still on board and I'm still, you know, doing a little bit of something every day. So if I show the team that, then I I feel you do get back from that, you know, and that takes a lot away from sort of beating yourself up about not accomplishing everything you set out for yourself at the beginning of the week. Mm. So that's uh, that's really helpful for me. One, one of the things I love to be able to do with one of those updates is say that I've achieved something or the team has Absolutely. achieved. So sometimes you sit on the border between going, oh wait, no, I won't do the update until this is done. But that of course is, <laughs> yeah. is detrimental because you then get to this point where that job still isn't done and you haven't given anyone any progress and you feel bad and that's right yes forget it sometimes you've got to give them a progress and say you haven't quite done it yet <laughs> I, I tried to do it monday rain or shine you know it, rain or shine monday give the update even if we haven't done anything mm. and that way sort of i know that i've mentioned everything i had to think about because if you let too much time pass you also forget things it's yeah, not yeah. easy to remember everything that's going on mm. i put a schedule something in my calendar to once a month remember to email out as well because obviously not to some degree i like to be able to keep the interest of the people that for example um, animators that joined um, before we were animating i wanted to still keep their interest right. but not hit them with too many emails so i said okay well one, oh, month, one a month doesn't sound like very much yeah so um i've just done a kind of a, a monthly summary and and pointed to all the highlights that have occurred in that one month sort of thing do you get do you have a lot of people signed up on twitter uh, oh you mean just following yeah um, I have managed to get a few followers on Twitter. Because I've, I've just gone on to that, and it struck me that it was quite a good way of, of just putting out a single sentence, you know, every day or every couple of days, mm. just to keep people Well, I only really, I only really started that because uh, the Ning service integrated it nicely. 
Um, so it's now quite easy when somebody does something really cool and you want to share it with the world to just click the, the uh, Twitter link and write a quick sentence to introduce it and boom, it's out on Twitter sort of thing. And, and so that's really what I'm using it for. Yeah, it just struck me as quite a, a nice immediate way of, of sending messages to everyone who signs up for it. Oh, right. You know, as an alternative to, to the broadcast message, which which I, like you, I use once a month. I, you know, I write something and, and send it out to everyone. Mm. But it tends to be just once a month, whereas the Twitter, of course, you could just do something every day, just saying this got done today and, and other people can use it as well. The trick with that, of course, is that you have to get people to sign up to two services. I know, yeah. Um, and there's there's an enormous barrier to entry where every time you ask somebody to do something. It might not seem like much to one person, but in order to get 200 people to do that, that's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. I spent a lot of time refining uh, the process. And I, I know, actually, I've learned a little bit from Gondola's dog um, because Bob did some quite cool stuff in the kind of questions he was asking people when they were signing up. So I, I actually tweaked the sign-up questions on uh, for mine as well. Because, uh, Bob, was it you or me that did – well, one of us did this thing where um, – putting tick boxes for all the different skills. I think maybe you Yeah, did. I've got I've got them on mine. I, I can't remember if you've got them on I've adopted so just, that as well. Yeah, yeah. That's so handy. Because initially I had a box that people could could write what their main interest is, um, the thing that you know you're going to go to them for. But everyone would write it differently, and it was hard to search mm-hmm. for. But these tick boxes are just great because you can go to the um, search feature to yeah. Meyer animators and boom, 100 animators came up, you know, sort of thing. And you know exactly who's interested in just that skill. Or if you want to be more specific and you're looking for lighting, you can tick that one box and and you'll get all the lighters sort of thing. And that has been really handy. So, yeah, refining the process of how people come in um, has been a big issue and also trying to make it as easy as possible. And can I ask, do either of you find that the chat box area on Ning gets used very much? Not much, no. I'll I'll be honest, the only reason I keep it there is because it kind of tells me who's online right now. Yeah, it it doesn't get used much on mine either. It does occasionally, but Mm. it strikes me that it should be quite a, a good feature to use. I think it's just people aren't used to it being there. Um, unless they use something like that in Facebook a lot, mm. people aren't aware of it. They're a bit intimidated by it. And I just find people are more interested in leaving a note at their own pace in a forum-like scenario. But I do use it to see who's online right now because sometimes I'll just be completely stumped with some technical issue and I need to talk to someone. So I see who's online. I go, oh, I know he's quite technically minded and I'll send him an email. Chances yeah. are he's just browsing around and he'll come across that email and reply and i'll get a quick response that way oh, okay yeah <laughs> it would be nice if people were chatting on it more but um yeah it just doesn't seem to have worked out that way there were some other features um i guess you had some stuff on your site that you tried out I forget what it was yeah it was the huddle i think uh, yeah, oh, so yeah does that work yeah that that not really no i was hoping to use it sort of for file sharing but you can't like it's um date based sort of chronological so you can't really see the files is not intuitive and i found it to be more complicated than simple so i've kind of phased that out right and uh i'm not going to be using that anymore so okay. um yeah i tried it as well I, I, I was gonna say sorry the, the problem i had with it was that you put files out on on huddle but they're accessible to everyone and i wanted some way of refining it so that unless you bump you actually pay to get more more workspaces you you can't right. be you can't control who sees which files and what okay. i want to do is is to avoid a problem where, where where more than one person is working on one file you see what i mean so, right. so in other words to be able to control who sees which files and 
minimize the chance of, of there being mistakes or things getting you know overwritten or whatever mm. um, and so it didn't seem to be a very effective way of doing that mm. are either of you using a file sharing system yet then uh, not yet um, i'm was... looking at spider oak um oh, okay i haven't heard of that one which i've heard some quite good things about mm. um again that's quite imminent maybe maybe next week or the week after i'll, I'll look at setting that up it really came down to either spider oak drops or sugar sink, I think it's called. Yeah, that, that was another one I liked as well. I mean, when I was looking at it, I basically paired it down to sugar sink versus Dropbox. Right. I'm, uh, I've not really sorted out that problem yet because my biggest sort of fear for the file sharing was the overwriteability or the fact that people can delete files accidentally. Mm. I think you've had that problem in the past, uh, I, Mike. Not too much, actually. I mean, yes, I've had one or two minor disasters, but they're only disasters in so much as it took me some of my own time to restore the files. I haven't actually lost anything because I don't know how they all... I would guess most of them are trying to follow fairly similar methods now, but uh, Dropbox keeps the last five versions of a file that were in use. And I can see a history of what everybody's done to all the files that I have administrator rights for. So essentially, essentially, I can just scan down that history. And if I see a red circle, it means somebody's deleted something. I I usually just kind of skim for those, make sure that nobody's done anything naughty. And no one has, no one's, <laughs> yeah. no one's intentionally done anything bad. One or two minor disasters we had were um, when people needed to reinstall their computer. And yeah. because they didn't want to download all the assets again, what they would do is they'd move their folder to another hard drive or something. They'd reinstall their computer, they'd move the folder back, and then they would say to Dropbox, okay, I'm ready to carry on syncing. But the trouble was all those files... Uh were now, as far as Dropbox was concerned, completely different to all the files that were originally in there. Some of them had been updated, but most of them, they were not the same files. And so suddenly it would either overwrite or update or add to all the files we had. And so I've just had a couple of scenarios where had a few people suddenly upload or change hundreds of files. And there was no quick way Mm -hmm. to just undo what that one person had done. I had to do it per file. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I managed to minimize the problem by breaking it down into as a good number of different folders for different parts of the project. And then you only give access to that folder to the people that need it. And that way, right. that, if that, yeah. one person screws up, they break the minimum amount of stuff. <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. I, I'd really like to start implementing one, but I haven't done enough research yet. And um, I had a major, two major system crashes about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and both my computers on the same day decided to not work anymore, oh my God. which was traumatic in many ways. Uh, I, I tend to back up, but you know, there's always that little bit that you didn't save yet. Mm-hmm. Plus, I didn't have a computer that worked to actually start it up. So what happened was I had to reinstall everything and redo everything. And um, it meant that sort of the organizing the file systems has been put on hold until I can actually maybe either, either buy a new computer, because I'm worried about that happening again, or uh, figure out what I'm going to do in terms of organization. Of myself. I definitely want to implement that soon because we're getting to a stage now where I've got shots out and I've got shared resources. You know, the rigs are all needing to be updated regularly. So mm. it's, it's stunningly quick how you can get things working. If both sides of the equation, if the person you're dealing with is communicating well and, you, mm-hmm. and you've got things set up well, sure. having these shared files does work. Well, I mean, for example, someone could be working on a shot and they will say, oh, I'm having a problem with this on the rig. And um, 
and I can just go, oh, Iskander, um, can you have a look at this on the rig? And he goes, yeah, and he just dives straight into the um, rig file, tweaks something, yeah, saves it, yeah. synchronizes up to the animator, and in a really short period of time, if you're all there online, the file gets fixed, and we just say, okay, re- reload your scene, and it's fixed. That's great. We've had that happen a couple of times. It's uh, really handy. What's your overall experience then with managing the team, the good, the bad, and the ugly? I think overall it's been it's been very good. I, I think it's uh, it's a it's a great way of doing it. I mean, I can't think of any other ways of, of producing an animation like this uh, with people all across the world. Mm. I don't know that I've had any really bad experiences. Occasionally, I've had models in that that just haven't been what I wanted at all. Yeah, and you know that's that's a bit disheartening, you know, because you have to find a, a way of letting people know that that you don't want their work yeah. um, which isn't great no that's um, that's kind of one of the hardest things is, is yeah is frequently um, having generally, to tell someone some bad news like that yeah yeah like i said before it's it, what i try and do is try and find a way of steering it around so that there's something that they can do you know that that is maybe more suited to to what you know what they're good at mm. um Sometimes people don't don't quite get what you're saying about about modelling. You know, you say you want you show them a reference drawing, you show them something, you say it has to look like this, and you get something completely different, mm. uh, and you kind of wonder why. <laughs> that, that's that's a bit a bit of a head scratching one. Yeah, um, but generally, it's been a good experience. You know, it, it's it's worked very nicely. Have you had any freakouts? What what what, <laughs> what would you call a freakout? <laughs> Uh, I have one shouting at me or, or you oh. know, doing anything terrible. I've had a, I had a couple of freakouts, yes. Um, before I get to my stories, Jess, have you had any freakouts? <laughs> no, not not with any other people. That's, okay. that's uh, you know, it's my own personal insanity that that happens. I think oh, okay. there's sometimes you know, there are two people in my head, and one of them tends to freak out, the anxious, nervous, you know, self-doubting one, but um, the other one seems to be pretty good at calming her down but yes freakouts i i have you know okay. um, only your own but they're, they're my own That's yeah exactly <laughs> well, i've been lucky with my my team is much more stable than i am so um they're great and uh, nobody nobody's been you know difficult or even challenging in, in a bad way yet you know everyone challenges me in great ways you know, I have question, difficult questions I have to answer mm. and uh, suggestions and stuff like that. But that's always building stuff. You know, mm. nobody's sort of been difficult in any other way. But do tell your freakouts. This oh. is interesting. <laughs> well, I, I won't go into too specifics because uh, I don't want no. to uh, incriminate anybody. Um, that, now, I've had a couple. Yep. What's interesting about this kind of process is, is that obviously in order to um, have somebody volunteer their personal time in such a large way, usually the, those people are in a state of change themselves they're between jobs or they're trying to improve their their job career prospects this kind of stuff and the interesting thing about touching so many people in that stage of their life is that they can be a little bit more volatile and um, obviously the vast majority of people are very stable very stable i'm not saying anyone's uh, a crackpot but um, it does it does mean that you get uh, one or two people who are very very anxious to do something and they might come in fast. They'll they'll say a lot. They'll suddenly start um, criticizing people a bit too much, like slightly too aggressively sometimes. Or um, they'll suddenly freak out and say, "I'm not doing this anymore," and and cancel their accounts and uh, delete all their files and and run away. Oh, okay. see, that's that's scary with the file sharing, isn't it? Exactly. Um... Yeah. Now, fortunately, as I said, I can restore any file that any, anybody deletes, so sure. we don't we don't lose okay. stuff. 
um, as long as they've been okay. putting the, the files in the file sharing system. Um, we, we had right. somebody who did some work and um, did some models and never actually uploaded what they did. And then I never heard from them again. I mean, that wasn't exactly a freak out, but it was very disappointing because obviously as a director, you spend time giving people feedback. And then if they never upload the file, um, you can't do anything with it. Got to start all over again. (laughs) And I've had a few people kind of throw up their arms in email form and say, I've had enough of this. Um, I don't like being criticized this way. And, and they go away. Uh. Now, the funny thing is, it's not usually my criticism that freaks them out. It's usually somebody else on the forum. And hmm. what, what all it is is that you've got lots of different people coming in at different levels, That and some people are more aggressive than others. And maybe this person was a bit more sensitive to um, being criticized. Now, some of those people, months later, have come back and said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I, okay. I, there was a bad time for me. There was some stuff going on. Um, I'd like to get involved again and, and I appreciate I was being a bit oversensitive, that sort of stuff. So you do get those sorts of things happen. Yeah. You always have to hope that that doesn't happen, but you are, you know, I've had, um, I did have someone sort of quit on the project, but it wasn't really a freak out. It was, um, it was more of a, here's, here's the work you asked me to do don't ask me to do any more work and they they up and left but that was someone who wasn't that was before the ning site and everything mm. that was before we were more organized and that was fine you know i wished this person luck and said okay well you know if you, if you ever want to come back i really like the work you did and it would be great to have you you know come back mm. but um it is hard because you are asking a lot of people you are yeah and yeah. They, they do have to really have faith in the project because they're committing a lot. They are, It's a yeah. big commitment to sort of commit your work and your energy and your artistic uh, abilities to something that you don't know where it's going. So, mm. you know, I appreciate any help, but um, everyone's got their own, you know, mind. So you will have difficulties, I guess, at times. Yeah. So one of the things I would say I've had to learn is just to be sensitive to that. I mean, in my day job, I've supervised a lot of projects and had to deal with a lot of different people. But not nearly the number of quantity of people uh, and with the wide variety of different uh, personal circumstances. So you've got to suddenly become super sensitive and read between the lines on every little thing that they send, send you um, sometimes just to, to be careful that you're not stepping on their toes and to give them the space that they need, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and all you can do is keep sure. your fingers crossed that somebody else doesn't accidentally step on their toes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you can't control anybody else. <laughs> yeah, well, this, is, this is it, yeah. So what would you say has been the greatest challenge to date? I think getting it greatest started challenge. was probably the greatest challenge um, because when you, when you get it started, you're... You're completely on your own and, mm. you know, you have to find a way forward and, and you kind of know that you, you can't really start and, and say, look, world, here I am. This is going to be fabulous. Why don't you all just join? Mm. Because they've got nothing to look at and nothing to, you know, to judge you by. So you have to do it all yourself and you have to hope that people will come in. Mm. And even when I started the Ning for, for a few months, it was very quiet and you sort of lose lose faith a little bit sometimes. And you think, well, maybe it is just me out there doing all this all the time and I'm just, you know, nothing's going to go forward so that's that's kind of the biggest challenge is is maintaining the belief that other people will will come along mm. yeah it is uh, quite challenging you know yeah. i think when it starts getting impetus and when you can see that other people are interested and and work is progressing that that's great you know and you have other challenges then in terms of, of keeping it going mm. but but certainly so far the greatest challenge has been has been just to start it and just to believe that it, it would 
you know, it would go somewhere. Do you check out other people's projects when they first announce them? Um, I, I frequently go on like CG Society and I, I see the threads that other people projects are started and um 11 second club now has a um, short film section and and when yeah. someone starts a new thread on there i have a look and see what they're saying and and more often than not they don't have anything to show and they don't and they're not telling people what their previous experience is so right. it does amaze me if anyone manages to get going with that yeah so what about you jess how what was your biggest challenge i think uh probably my biggest challenge just staying organized and staying focused right um i can i, I find it easy to sort of get off track um not in terms of where the project's going but in terms of like what i what do i need to be doing today to be able to you know push everybody forward and to push myself forward but not too hard you know mm. so it's it's hard to remember what needs doing and uh i'm always looking for tools or different ways of organizing my spreadsheets so I can get to those tasks easier and understand what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. But sometimes I'm just sitting there and everything looks so overwhelming. Mm. And uh, it's the organization, I think, that's the hardest, the hardest thing for me. Mm. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not that organized. <laughs> so. Well, that's something you figure out as you go along because you know what does and doesn't work. Yeah. I would sort of agree okay. with Bob, though, in, in that for me, I think one of the hardest things was getting it started. But what I'll throw in there as well for me is I'm not traditionally a very good salesman, but I've had to find a way as I've gone along to be putting out all the time in order to attract the talent. I had to go out onto forums and promote the thing all the time. It was not something I'm used to doing. I'm not normally that active on a forum. I'm not normally talking to people at parties and saying, Hey, you should come and do this kind of thing. But suddenly I found myself in that position where I have to be a salesman and and sometimes I think to myself, am I stepping over the line? Am I annoying my friends and family with this stuff? Um, and so I pull back a little bit and, and that's been my biggest change is trying to figure out where the line is, what's acceptable and um, and what people will, will tolerate and, and what will get you the results. Well, on that topic, I mean, how do you, yeah, how do you organize yourself in terms of like any sort of deadlines or when you expect to see things from people? See, that's a, that's a question I have uh, oh, for, for you. That's like, tricky. how do you sort of mm. ask people to get back to you? That, I find that difficult. Well, generally speaking, the only thing I ask of people is to keep showing us updates and communicating. Um, it's very hard to say to someone who's putting their own personal time into it that I need this done in four weeks. I have not done that. I've not attempted to force people to get something done by a specific date. In fact, the closest to that is just... In the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'd like to get the trailer done by um, SIGGRAPH, but it's not the end of the world if it doesn't sort of thing. Um, and all, But all that means is that rather than pushing individuals, I might nag them a couple of times if they, I haven't heard them for them for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. If I don't hear from them at all uh, and it's been a month or two or something like that, then I do often say, okay, well, I'm going to reassign this task. Please let me know if you want to be a, a new task when you, when you come back, that sort of thing. Because some people you don't ever hear from again. Yeah, I, I put a post out on, on the forum on mine saying that if I don't hear anything from people at all, if, if, if I've asked specifically for more than three weeks, I kind of take that as a sign that I'm not likely to. Because mm. they only have to get back and say, I'm still doing it. I'm just really busy doing something else. Yeah, exactly. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you don't hear anything at all from someone, if you've sent them three or four emails over a period of three weeks and you hear nothing, that's the point at which I start wondering if, if maybe that communication is severed completely. Mm. 
and you do need to to reassign it because you could spend forever trying to you know get things moving forward if you, if you don't have a cutoff point and the trouble is when you're nagging so many people it builds up and it can be a certain a large chunk of your own time just to chase yeah. people so you have to set your own little goals and say right two weeks or four weeks or whatever it is if i haven't heard from them then i have to reassign sort of thing but do you do you sort of give a, a deadline for when you expect to see some sort of no like feedback like no so no, not, you just expect generally not. not. I mean, I, I like them to come back fairly soon after the assignment just to show that they're sure. um, actually starting because a lot of people mm-hmm. never even start. Uh, but then once they've started, if they've said in their profile, I'm working on this only a couple of hours a week, then, you know, it's going to be kind of slow. Um, and, but if they yeah. said they're working on it full time, then you might be able to expect it a little bit quicker. But to be honest, most of the time, I just kind of let them do it. And if a new play blast comes in every couple of weeks, that's fine with me. And okay. the only thing you kind of hope for is that each play blast does show significant progress. Um, most people do. <laughs> Occasionally, you get something where you think, hang on, they've gone backwards here. That's not even as good as what it was last time or something like that. And that, that becomes a problem. I haven't had much of that, but there have been one of two occasions where I've realized I'm waiting, wasting my time with a specific person and it's easier to try and tactfully reassign the task. Sure, yeah. But yes, um, just keeping people communicating seemed to be the, the main thing to try and, and do. And I have always got a little backlog of people. I'm thinking to myself, okay, okay, I'll wait a couple more weeks for that one and then I'll, mm-hmm. send, them, I'll send them a polite email saying, hi, how's this going? And then maybe sure. come couple of weeks later you'll send them another email saying haven't heard from you i if you're not working on this can i reassign it and if you still haven't heard from them it's reassigned then you just do it yeah yeah because you you've got to at some point um there are some tasks that i don't mind taking a really long time and so they can languish a bit and other tasks that are more important to the rest of the team. So I, I'd be a little bit more strict. But usually you still have to give people room. I'm never chasing someone within days of them doing something. I'm usually, I give them a few weeks, that sort of thing. I think one thing I'm interested in, because because I'm just about to start the animation side of it, mm-hmm. is you've got a lot of people on your site who signed up for animation. Yes. How do you balance your choice? Do you, do you go for a smaller team to maintain the style of the animation for the characters and the scenes, or do you use as many people as possible? Well, I'm actually at the mercy of my own time making layout shots. So I found that the number of animators I can take on is limited purely by the amount of layouts I can get prepared for people, because it takes a bit of time. I mean, I have a checklist on my wall here of about 14 different things I have to do before I can give somebody a shot, and that's just per shot. Mm. So a lot of people think that there's not much to it, but there's a lot of setup time. So when someone says, I'd like to be an animator, or I'd love to work on a, one of the death characters or something like that, then inevitably I think to myself, okay, well, that's at least half an hour to an hour I'd put for that animator. And because you've got five or six of them, that's a five-hour chunk of time you've got to find. And I very rarely find a five-hour chunk of time. So you're kind of limited by that yeah. to some degree. But also as I've gone along, I've found that there's only so much feedback you have time to give someone on a daily basis. So you wake up in the morning and a dozen people have posted updates. Um, well, if I had a dozen play blasts in one morning, I wouldn't be able to cope with it. Right. <laughs> there would be too many. Uh, it would take me too long to give them all feedback. So, yeah, you, I have kind of got to the point now, which is, I think, somewhere between 20 and 25 animators assigned to shots where 
I don't want too many more people simultaneously working on it because it's a drain of my time and, and I don't want to keep people waiting for feedback because I haven't got time to go through everyone. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my limit. <laughs> it's quite a lot though, isn't it? 25 animators. Yeah, but as I say, what, what I mean is that those, that's how many animators are assigned to a shot. That doesn't mean to say they're all simultaneously working on it. Oh, yeah. right, okay. So you might have maybe five of, out of 25 people are still sitting at 0%, haven't shown you any progress, and, and they may later end up being someone you have to nag. And then you'll have maybe another five to 10 people who have had to stop because they're doing some freelance work, and so they've gone a bit quiet for a while. So really, you're only ever really talking about maybe 10 people who are actually actively pushing shots forward on a regular basis. Mike, how is it that you organize yourself for giving feedback? Um, how, how is it that you sort of analyze a play blast and give back? Uh, do, you, do you record all your feedback or? I'd like to. I, I, re- okay. I want to do as many video critiques as I can, but it actually takes a lot of time um, because sure. a video critique, obviously you have to basically work out what your points are going to be. Then you have to get set up in front of your camera, get all your software set up. Um, I have to convert a video so it can be played in Flipbook. And then I do the screen capture. And then once it's all done, there's all this video converting I have to do. And then I have to get it up on YouTube and then it has to go on the website. So all in all, one Mm -hmm. video critique can take a lot of time. So I want to do as many as I can, but most of the critiquing is just text-based. And it's something I've done before. I, I was an animation supervisor on a low-budget feature uh, where we were supervising a company in Israel. Mm-hmm. So I went through email, and I would get shots in, and one shot after another just list feedback and just make lists, basically. And so most of the feedback is done like that, unless it's something I really can't communicate in the written form, and then I know I have to do a video critique. And, and all that is is a question of finding the time to play the video and, and write the list. Right. And are you are you using Flipbook, you said, and then you, you do a screen capture with what? I mean, how, how does that work out? Sounds like a big process. <laughs> it, it, it is, actually. I tried so many different things, and I'm finding a lot of problems with audio sync. Mm. It almost never seems to come out perfectly. So um, oh, I forget what it's called. The one I'm using at the moment is called BB Flashback. It's um, just one of many screen capture programs that are out there. Mm. But I, I found it wasn't completely perfect. But I even tried more expensive ones. I tried the trial of uh, a high-end one, thinking, well, if this works, it'll save me time and I'll pay for it sort of thing. But during the trial, it still let me down, and so I didn't mm. end up buying it sort of thing. But, yeah, I, I get the quick times off the team. I have to convert okay. it into an AVI, and then I import it into Flipbook, uh, and I lay out my screen um, within a tight little area sort of thing. And I put a video window in the corner and, oh my goodness. and basically get myself all set up so I've got everything I need in a, in a certain area of the screen and then start capturing that area of the screen. And fingers crossed, it all kind of works. Of course, the sure. trick is to try and keep it as short as possible and not faff around and keep people waiting. So, And, and it's the planning that takes the time, really. Mm. I did kind of, I'm, I'm fortunate that I live quite close to work. So um, I sort of came to the conclusion recently that maybe the easiest way for me to do more regular video critiques is to do it during lunchtime. Oh. Yeah, because in an evening, that's a big chunk of time. If, if I'm going to work on the project in an evening, I want to work on something that it requires a lot of time. Um, but I can just about do a vid- one video critique within an hour and grab some lunch and walk back to work. So I'm thinking of doing that. And so that, trying- that's how you, you're managing the work-life balance then, is it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's good for me, though. I get to walk up and down this hill every single day. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you want to just um, tell them where, tell the world where people can find out about you and your project? Okay, uh, you can find out about Hick by either going to http hick-film.ning.com and sign up there, or in the future I'll be putting stuff up on a blog or something like that. But um, that's the best place to start. You can sign up and see a bit of the stuff that's on the homepage right away. Cool. And Bob? Uh, you can find out about The Gondolier's Dog at thegondoliersdog.ning.com. Uh, I'm also putting a website out on thegondoliersdog.com and it's on Twitter as well. I think it's called Gondolier's Dog. Cool. Thank you very much. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting to you both. We've got uh, a lot of useful information out of that. That's very good. Well, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, it's great, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>